Good morning, Calvary Bible Church. We are so thankful for the opportunity to host you online this morning. Whether you attend the Boulder Campus, Classic Calvary, the Erie Campus, or our friends out at the gathering in Thornton, we are so thankful that you are here with us this morning. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Acts as we hear about the encouraging faith of a man named Stephen, a man filled with the Spirit and filled with faith in the midst of challenges and hardships. Pastor Tom's going to continue to take us through the book of Acts. We're so glad that you are here today. We also want to stay connected through these days. And the best place to go to do that is calvarybible.com. There's a couple of resources there that I want to bring your attention to. If you are new to Calvary or you haven't gotten plugged in with a small group or life group yet, you want to find this link that says Coffee Over Zoom and click it. That way, someone from our adult ministries team can reach out to you and make sure that you are not alone or isolated at this time. Also, Sarah White and our great Kids Quest ministry teams have produced some great resources for parents with, to work with their kids. As we continue to instill our faith into them over these days, check out calvarybible.com for resources to help you minister to your kids throughout the week. Also, for those of you who are used to getting a printed bulletin as you come on site, don't worry, all that same content is on our mobile bulletin. You can find that at calvarybible.com slash this week. There you can fill out one of our connect cards and submit prayer requests. Thanks to everyone this week who shared your prayer requests. It was our joy to be praying with you as a staff and elders this week. Please keep them coming in. Also, if you are used to giving your gifts on site, don't forget that there is online giving. It's easy to set up and really easy to use. We want to thank you for continuing to give online. For those of you who have been giving online for some time now, and for those who started just last week, thank you so much. We know that these ministries do not continue without your ongoing support financially. So thank you. Also, thank you so much for sending in your pictures about how you, your family, and small group engaged with us online last week. Make sure you continue to mention at Calvary or tag us on your photos on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. If you don't have any social media, no worries. Submit those to calvarybible.com slash online. Good morning, Calvary Bible Church. One church in a thousand locations. We're glad to be worshiping together and opening the Bible. I really miss being with you last week. I was out in Connecticut for the memorial service for my mother, who passed away last fall, but we didn't gather as a family until last weekend. It was right before the CDC put on new parameters, so we had about 150 people in the room together. Uh, my mom was uh, about 4 foot 11, and she weighed 80 pounds when she died at the age of 93, but she lived a rich and beautiful life. She left a legacy in her work. She left a legacy in our neighborhood, uh, in our local schools, and she most of all left a legacy of her family. Here's a picture of our family as we were together last weekend. My mom had six children. Each of them were married. Uh, they gave her 23 grandchildren, seven of them married, and those couples gave her eight great-grandchildren. So here's 50 of the Shirks. Uh, first time we've all been in one place together, and it was a beautiful time of rejoicing that my mom is with Jesus in heaven. When death happens, a story is always told. This is part of that story. When someone dies, we say, well, who was that person? And what was their life like? And how did they live? And how did they die? 
In the sovereignty of God, we're going to look at Acts chapter 7 this morning, which is a story about a man who lived and died in one chapter. He became the first martyr for the church in the New Testament. His name is Stephen. Most of us think that the worst thing that could ever happen to us is death. But I want you to know that uh, in the sovereignty of God, what's happening in our world has everybody thinking about mortality. Everybody is thinking uh, about this issue. Now, we, know we don't want it to happen, and we think death could be the worst thing that would ever happen, but I assure you there is something worse than death that could happen. I'm going to tell you that at the end of the message. For now, um, I want you to think with me about what kind of man this man is. His name is Stephen. We met him last week when Thomas and John shared with us how the church got organized in chapter 6. They selected men who would help lead the organization of the church, and one of them is described in chapter 6, verse 5. His name is Stephen, and this is what's said of him. They selected Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. What a descriptor for a man in the New Testament who God's going to use. He's full of faith, and he's full of the Holy Spirit. Being full of the Holy Spirit, as we've talked about over the years, means that you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. In another place, Paul talks about not being drunk with wine, but being filled with the Spirit, being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Stephen was, and he was full of faith, which simply meant that he believed God and he trusted in his word. These are two qualities about the man that we're going to meet in chapter 7, who's going to go all the way to his death, affirming I believe this with all my heart, and I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. There frankly is no better way to live than these two qualities. In verse 8, there's another statement about Stephen. It simply says of him that he was full of grace. He was kind. He was gentle. And he was filled with power and was doing great wonders and signs among all the people. He was a very unique man, and it's obvious that the Spirit of God was on him. He was full of faith, he was gracious with others, and he was doing the work of God with great power. Now, there were those in the story who didn't like what he was doing, and they are some of the Jews who lived in Jerusalem who were against everything that the gospel was seeking to promote. And they came and rise up against him in verse 9, but uh, verse 10 tells us two more things about Stephen. They could not withstand his wisdom, and the spirit with which he was speaking. His communication with those who were opposing him was so powerful, so wise, that they couldn't argue with him. Uh, They wanted to argue, but they weren't able to keep up with him. He was a remarkable man. But they put forward these false accusations, and those are described in verses 11 down to about verse 14. And they accused Stephen of doing things and speaking things about the temple and about Israel that would have upset any upstanding Jewish leader. They were false witnesses, and they wanted to take Stephen down. And the end of chapter 6 has this remarkable statement in verse 15. It says, And gazing at him, all who sat in the council, who were threatening Stephen, saw that his face was like the face of an angel, Stephen actually looked like an angel. I think this is Luke's way of describing something 
of the glory of God manifested in the very face of Stephen. When has that ever happened in the Bible before? You know what happened with Moses when he met with God on the mountain and he came down and the glory of God was in his face? I think some miraculous appearance happened to Stephen as he's talking to these leaders who want to throw him out of Jerusalem and um, his face just looks like the glory of God. Now, imagine this. You see a man who's full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of grace, demonstrating the power of God in what he's doing, and he's full of faith, and he looks like an angel. Would you listen to him? You know, basically, you'd say, I I think we should listen to this guy. But that is not what they do. And what happens in chapter 7 is basically the unfolding of Stephen's defense against those who want to accuse him of ruining their world in Jerusalem. Now, chapter 7 is a long chapter. It's too long to go all the way through in this format. Maybe any format. No, I'm just kidding you. Uh, but, but we're not going to look through the whole chapter. But I, as I've studied it, I think chapter 7 is basically Stephen's attempt to undo the pillars of confidence that the Jews in his day had that were not rooted in confidence in God. In other words, I think that the hubris and anger of these leaders who are attacking Stephen trusted in things that were close to God, but were not God. There are three pillars of popular Judaism of the day. And they're sort of the sacred cows that any good upstanding Jew would believe. These are the blessings that God has given to us. And because I'm blessed in this way, I have good status with God. But in fact, I think the whole chapter 7 is to sort of imagine the legs of a stool. And these are the pillars that are holding up the whole system of Judaism, especially for the Sadducees and religious leaders. And they have internally this internal sense of presumption and trust in three things that chapter 7 addresses. And the first of these is that any good upstanding Jew would have said, I'm in the promised land. And because I'm in Jerusalem and I'm in Israel, my land is the assurance that God has blessed me. So if you trace chapter 7 from about verse 2, actually all the way to verse 37, You'll hear hints from Stephen using his wisdom and the scriptures and a really good sense of history to describe that the land is a blessing, but it's not the blessing. For example, look at chapter uh, 7, verse 2. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, not in Israel. And before he ever came to the land of Israel, God showed up in Abraham's life before he actually ever got into the land. I think that's Luke's way of saying the land wasn't that important to Abraham. In fact, if you look at verse 5, it says, God gave Abraham no inheritance in Israel. Not even one foot length of land did Abraham get. So was the land a blessing? Well, sure it was a blessing. But was it the blessing? I think Luke's point 
in recording Stephen's message is to say the land's a blessing, but that doesn't give you status with God. If you look at chapter 7, verse 9, the patriarchs, Jacob and Joseph, are then described, and I think Stephen makes the point that Joseph never actually lived long in Israel. He spent most of his life in Egypt, and the whole point of the story is the life of Joseph, one of our great patriarchs, never really made it to the land. He ended up in Egypt. The only thing in, in the land of Israel for Jacob and Joseph is a tomb where they're buried. And then you go to Moses, and he's described in verse 17 through verse 37. And all Stephen points out about Moses and the land is Moses was born in Egypt. He fled to Midian, which is far from the land of Israel. And he heard from God on Mount Sinai. So God was working in Abraham. God was working in Joseph. God was working in Moses. But it had nothing to do with the land. So Stephen's point, where he's sort of saying to these um, contenders, is the land is a blessing, but it's not the blessing. The second thing he addresses, which I think the the pride of any good Jewish leader was, we have the law of Moses. And so beginning in verse um, 30 and all the way to 35 and 43, you hear Stephen starting to tell the story of Moses, how Moses went out and he met with God and he was on the mountain and he heard from God and received the law. That's basically uh, what verse 38 says. Moses is the one who was with the congregation in the wilderness when the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, he received the living oracles to give to us. Stephen's describing that Moses is the one who brought the law from Mount Sinai and, um, you know, he died. The law is what God gave to us and he gave it through Moses but what was Israel's response to the law? It was actually the next verse, verse 39, our fathers received the law, but did they obey it, everybody? No, they didn't obey it. And Stephen is saying, you think the law is a blessing because you received the law? But you haven't kept it. In fact, verse 53, he says, you who received the law as if it was delivered from angels, you didn't keep it. Now you got to see what... Stephen's doing, he's saying, you think you're blessed in your status with God because you have the land? No, Abraham didn't have the land. Moses didn't have the land. Joseph didn't have the land, but they were blessed. You don't need the land to be blessed by God. You think you're blessed because you have the law of Moses? You don't keep the law. The law is a blessing, but it's not the blessing. What's the blessing? The blessing is Jesus. Because it actually says in the New Testament, Paul says, the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. That's the greater blessing. And the third theme that Stephen takes up is the temple. You think you you're have good status with God because you have the temple? I think that's the point of the argument beginning uh, around verse 41. Uh, you, you have the temple and you're meeting with God. And verse 44, our fathers had the tent in the wilderness but Solomon, verse 47, who built a house, it was Solomon who built the temple. And yet, you're proud about having the temple. 
But look at verse 48. The Most High doesn't dwell in houses made by hands. Verse 49 says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place will I rest? Didn't my hand make all these things? You get what Stephen's doing. He's taking a whole chapter to say, Israel, you're blessed. You're in the land. You have the law. You have this beautiful temple. But those are blessings, but they're not the blessing. And I think what Stephen is doing is he's tipping the stool over. And it's tipped over and say those things are, are not the blessing. The blessing is Jesus. And those things are all designed to point us to Jesus. But you've missed Jesus by your focus on these things. And you think you have a kind of a smug sense of satisfaction that you're a blessed person. And I, I just see Stephen tipping over the pillars. They were sacred cows to Israel. That these three treasures were their blessing, and so they were right with God. And Stephen slaughtered the sacred cows. And God does that sometimes. He tips over the stool of our security, of good things, in which we feel safe and secure. And in fact, I was thinking about this, if you were to say, what, what do you think are the, are the pillars of our security in our country? Normally, it's that we're healthy. And if we're healthy, we're blessed by God. And the second pillar, probably most prominent in people's mind, is if we're wealthy, oh, we're blessed by God. If we have independence and mobility, we're blessed by God. And I just wonder if what's happening in our world today, whether our health might be threatened and our resources might be threatened, and we're all in isolation this very moment, is there a sense that the sense of security is tipped over? I just want to remind you that our sense of security was never meant to be rooted in those three things. Those are blessings that we love and appreciate, and they're good things, but they're meant to point to the giver of every good and perfect gift. Are you with me on that? Our security is not in our things around us. They are in the one who gives them the good source of every good gift. Now, if you've been hearing Stephen preach this message, a 52-verse defense for why Jesus Christ is the central focus of everything that's happened in Jerusalem in the last three years, you can understand that they would be... Um, Deeply challenged at that moment, and in fact, they were. But he wasn't quite done with those yet. In fact, in verse 51, he kind of zeroes in for the kill. And he says to them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised at heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Wow! Um, this is how you influence people. This is how you win friends. Stephen's not interested in really doing that. He's really trying to bring conviction to them. And he says to them, you did as your fathers did. They always persecuted the prophets. And they killed the prophets who announced the coming of the righteous one, Jesus, whom you've now betrayed and murdered. And you received the law delivered by angels and you didn't keep it. Okay, this is 
what we would describe as his closing statement. Closing argument to get them to the place of conviction. They, they were not only convicted, they were enraged. And they ran upon Stephen. And you can read the end of the chapter in the way in which they took Stephen out. And they threw him down a hill. And they did the hard work of lifting up stones to put him to death. And he became the first martyr in our New Testament. That's the man. Full of faith, full of the Spirit. That's the message. Don't trust anything less than God. They wouldn't have it, so they put him to death. But I do want you to see his response. When they came upon him to put him to death, Will you just see what, how he responded and what we learned from his response in verse 54? When they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth. They're just like furious at him. And they get ready to throw him out. But verse 55 tells us a little bit more about this man. Verse 55 says, but he, I want you to see three things about this section. Full of the Holy Spirit. I want you to know, um, we, we've read his message in most of chapter 7, but he was full of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is um, powerful, truthful, gentle, strong. He didn't sin when he said these things. He was full of the Holy Spirit, full of a sense of, I'm under his direction and his leadership. And the second thing it says is, is that he gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God. Verse 56 says, Behold, I see the heavens open, and I see the Son of Man. In some miraculous vision, God gave Stephen the ability to look up to heaven, full of the Holy Spirit, and see a vision in heaven with his eyes. So with his heart, he's full of the Spirit and full of belief and full of faith, and his eyes can see Jesus. And I just want to remind you that when When all the world starts to fall apart and it looks like doom and gloom, where are our eyes? I I can't think of a better message on this day in March than eyes on Jesus. Eyes on Jesus. He looked up into heaven when he was about to be put to death and he said, I can see Jesus. I have a friend, many of you know him. He's um, a famous athlete who lives in Boulder, um, Tyler and Nikki Butterfield are world-renowned triathletes, and uh, Tyler is an Olympian. I had the chance to speak to them a couple of weeks ago about the difficulties of life and how do you keep going when life gets really difficult. And um, here's a picture of a peloton, a peloton of bikes. And Tyler, a professional cyclist, gave me this quote about how to, how to handle difficulties from his racing career. He wrote to me and said, when you're riding a bike, especially fast, especially in a peloton, peloton of a few hundred guys hurtling 60 miles an hour down the Alps in the back of France. Now, when he said that, I, I think he assumed that I had done that. I've never actually done that. But he said, when you're hurtling down the mountain 60 miles an hour in a peloton of 60 or 100 guys, if you stare at what you don't want to hit, 
you hit it. If you look for gaps and spaces, they suddenly open up in front of you. You're still aware of the danger, he said. You just don't stare at it. You don't obsess over it. You don't fear it. If you fear it, you fall every time. I love that word. It is the picture of where your eyes need to be when things are the worst they can possibly be. And if we're living in those days now, the worst that you've ever seen, I want you to see Stephen's response. Eyes on Jesus. Heart full of hope, full of the Holy Spirit. Let me show you one more thing in this verse as we close. The last phrase in verse 56 Stephen says, Behold, I saw heavens opened, and the Son of Man, a title for Jesus in his humanity, standing at the right hand of God. Not sitting at the right hand of God, not sitting at the power of God, but standing up. And I just want to close with this picture of Jesus. He sees you, whatever you're going through. And he will get up when you need his help. He will get up for you. I love that normally he's seated at the Father's right hand. Stephen's picture is Jesus standing up to defend, standing up to come alongside. And we're going to face a lot of uncertainty in the days ahead, but we will not fear. Why? Full of the Spirit. Full of faith. We know what we believe. And we are going to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And we know that when we need him, he'll be there. You with me on that? Okay, let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the privilege of looking at this story from the life of Stephen, one who was willing to go all the way to the point of death. We said earlier that death is an enemy, and it is one of the worst things. But the worst thing we know, God, is not being ready to die. And I pray that you'll just work in our hearts that we, in this season of uncertainty, would have our eyes fixed on Jesus. With great and deep certainty, we would trust in you with a heart full of faith. And that we would be ready to face any challenge in our life, any uncertainty that we would keep our eyes on you. And I thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. You're going to be with us. Even where we are, alone in our house, alone in our apartment, wherever we are, Lord, I thank you that you're with us. Help our hearts leap to you in faith. And keep our eyes on you in trust. This is what we pray for in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.